Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to New City Church on Baptism Sunday. And if that's not enough, potluck Sunday. Like we're going old school church. Actually, it's not potluck. We are having some great food after our baptism today. So uh, if you're with us and visiting, we'd love for you to stay and be a part of that. Um, No need to bring anything. If you want to run out and grab me a couple donuts, you can do that. But we're, we're good with all the food that we need today. We'd love for you to stay and be a part of that. Um, after our baptism. Of course, we are going to do our baptisms a little bit later. We'll introduce that uh, as it comes. Uh, but we all, uh, I do want to let you know of something coming up June 9th. It's your favorite time of the year. It's spring cleaning. We're going to clean the church uh, building here and we're going to do some yard work. And Andy's excited. He's pumping his fist. Um, we're, we're very thankful for the building that we get to use. And so we want to uh, contribute to cleaning it up a little bit sprucing it up a little bit. So we'd love for you to be a part of that June 9th. Um, we also, as usual, need kids ministry volunteers. We've got a lot of places where you could plug into that. If you've been thinking about it, now's the time to jump in. Uh, that's just a bad baptism joke right there, but we'd love for you to jump in and be baptized by fire in children's ministry. Um, we have some openings in our nursery in our check-in area, and then we have a, a person who floats and does various stuff throughout a, a Sunday morning. So we'd love for you to be uh, volunteering for that, and you can contact Rochelle um, to do that. My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here, and if you are new to the church, we'd love for you to take one of the Connect cards that's in front of you. You can fill that out, putting in our offering box on your way out, uh, or drop it off at our information table. We'll get you any information that you need. Be praying for your prayer request. Um, we would certainly love to be doing that for you. So... Uh, Without further ado, why don't we stand together? We're going to read through our passage for the morning. It's John chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. We stand in honor of God's word. This is the word of God. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, it is a miracle to be born again. It is something that we can't achieve. We can't earn. It is a miracle that Jesus does in our lives. He saves us. He forgives us. He makes us clean. He provides us citizenship in the kingdom of God so that we can be obedient to his reign and his rule. So I pray today as we uh, unpack this uh, theological concept of being born again and needing to do that in order for us to see the kingdom, I pray that as we unpack it, even if we know those words and we believe that we are born again, that it would uh, make it fresh, that it would uh, become new. Uh, For those of uh, us here that don't know you, I pray that today would be their born-again moment as they hear the word of God, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They would turn, 
they would repent and they would believe. Pray for those who are struggling today with illness or relationship issues, financial issues. We pray for your healing and guidance and wisdom. And we ask that you look over us through your grace and your mercy. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. We are doing a series called Life and Kingdom. And last week, uh, we talked about the definition of the kingdom of God is the reign of God. The rule of God, that there is a ruler, his name is Jesus, he is sitting at the right hand of the Father, he is king over all of creation. And we talked about how the theological concept of him being a ruler means that he rules over every molecule in the entire cosmos. There is no escaping it, there is no denying it, Jesus is ruler over all, and that is the definition of his kingdom. And we spoke of being ruled uh, and that it is a given for every human that they will be ruled by something or someone. And so the question is, who will you be ruled by? Who will be the, the boss, the leader, the king over your life? Uh, as Christians, we believe biblically that to have the most joy, to be full of joy, which is the deepest desire of the human heart, Jesus says that we need to be ruled by him. We don't need him to be the the bobblehead Jesus in our car that we think of fondly when we drive down the road. We don't need to think of him as the Santa Claus in the sky who, because of something we do, gives us the things that we want. Jesus is the king, and we need to be ruled by him to have our fullest, most productive sense of joy on the planet. And so if we are ruled by him, it says in scripture that we will be a citizen of his kingdom. His kingdom has rules and in our obedience to him, we will find again our greatest joy. So today's baptism is symbolic of new life in this new kingdom. We're changing from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God. There, there really is those two kingdoms, the kingdom of this world that is ruled by Satan, our flesh, and our own desires, and then there's the kingdom of God where he is on the throne. So we're talking about that over the next several weeks, the kingdom and life in the kingdom. And Jesus says that his followers, those who know Christ, are citizens of a new kingdom. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, we are called fellow citizens with all the saints, and those, uh, the citizenship that we have is in the kingdom of God. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. Citizenship is a difficult process in most countries. In Christ's country, in his kingdom, it is a miracle. Now, if we were to talk about uh, citizenship in the U.S., and this is a hot topic and has been for several years now, uh, to immigrate to this country and become a citizen of the United States legally, it takes a minimum of 8 to 10 years. You have to go through a process of becoming a permanent resident, and then you have to prove... um, different citizenship goals throughout another five or six years. And about year eight, year 10, you can become a citizen of the United States of America. But there's a lot of work involved. There's a lot of hoops that you need to jump through. And if the kingdom of God was like that, none of us could become citizens of his kingdom. It is a miracle that we're brought in to this kingdom of God. And so if the kingdom... Of God is where every human will find their greatest joy. What does it take to get in? Right? That's the question. Um, 
I've got some children going off to college. I remember when I went off to college, there was a very popular fraternity. And the question was, how do you get in? I'm not going to tell you how you got into that fraternity because it's illegal in 48 states. But uh, we always have that question. How do we get in? How do we get into the kingdom of God? This is the answer. You must be born again. You must be born again. Now, a lot of people have heard those two words. They've maybe seen it on a bumper sticker, and it's become a cliche, right? And in Scripture, it is way more than a cliche. It is a theological concept that is deeply rooted in the understanding of how we are saved, what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom. According to the words that we just read, it says you must be born again to see the kingdom, About two decades ago, so two decades, two times, that's 20 years. Uh, 20 years ago, I was driving to the airport, and I was talking with my passenger about Christianity, and there was some confusion in the car. And the confusion was regarding, what is a Christian, and is it different than, like, let's say, being born again? And so there was this, this misunderstanding, and I told the passenger that I was driving with that I was a Christian, And their response was classic. Uh, This was the response. Well, at least you're not one of those born-agains. Like, have you ever heard that? Uh, It's like this thing that's a disease, right? Like, you can be a Christian, but just so you're not one of those born-agains. And being born-again gets a bad rap. It's misunderstood. Yet Jesus says it is vital to our entrance into the kingdom. Now, this is our first teaching for this morning out of this passage. We like almost all of Jesus, right? Our hearts are, you know, 97.6% in like with Jesus. We really like him almost all of the way. And in verses 1 and 2 of this passage, this man, Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, who is very religious, and it says, this is really interesting, in talking about the kingdom, that Jesus is the ruler, it's his reign. It says in the beginning of this passage that this Pharisee, this very religious man, was considered a what? A ruler of the Jews. He was considered one of the guys who made the rules for for the Jews. And it's indicative of what we do, this person, Nicodemus, had chosen a program of behavior modification to reach Jesus or to find his idea of the kingdom. And when we do that, because we do it all the time, when we try to find our own idea of the kingdom, what is happening in that moment? We're usually building our own kingdom, right? If you are not submitting to the kingdom of God as it is stated in scripture, then you might think you're pursuing something else that's outside of you. But what you're really doing is you're building or trying to build your own kingdom. And like these Pharisees, like Nicodemus, some of us do it through behavior modification. Um, We had this big party at our house for a graduation party at our house. And I was making a joke for the several weeks of intense labor I was doing to make the house look good that we were just putting lipstick on a pig. Have you ever heard that phrase? Right? Planting the grass, stuffing things into the corner of the attic so people can't see it. Um, We do that with behavior modification. 
Our hearts, Scripture says, are dark. They're far from God. They don't want God. As a matter of fact, given our own uh, voluntary will, we would push away and rebel against God. And so through behavior modification, looking good on the outside, uh, Jesus says you're kind of a whitewashed sepulcher to the Pharisees, meaning you've made the outside look really good, man. You are a very moral person, but the inside is dark, and that's what needs to be changed. And we try to do that. We try to put the lipstick on the pig of our heart. I think I just made that concept up. You can think about that this afternoon. Actually, we're having pork for lunch, aren't we? Okay, there you go. Think about that while you're eating your sandwich today. We do that. Through behavior modification, through looking a certain way, we try to make ourselves look better. And this is what we do, maybe like the Pharisees. We think we are elite and that others should be ruled by us. And this is rampant today. You don't think you're doing it. But you've come to the conclusions that are right. Your behavior is over and above and superior to others. And so you should be the person who rules others and and dictates to others how life should be lived. This is rampant, not only in the church, but in our culture. We all are trying to bring people under our rule to think that we're better than others. And it's really interesting that this guy who thought he was elite, superior, morally behaved, uh, or had it be, you know gone through his own behavior modification program to reach the kingdom. What does he do? It says it came to Jesus. He came to Jesus by night. Interesting, because a lot of people who are morally sound folk they don't do things at night. They're very sure of themselves, and they broadcast it to everybody. Remember the uh, story of the Pharisee praying on one street corner and this poor sinner praying on the other corner. The Pharisee is praying so he could be heard because he had a lot of these and thous in his prayer and was very sophisticated, right? And then the sinner's praying. is like, Lord, forgive me. I am, I am uh, uh, wrought with sin. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. Well, this particular Pharisee comes to Jesus by night. And a lot of us think, well, maybe he was just shy. You know, on the, on the, Myers-Briggs, he was a, a high eye, right? Introverted. He just didn't want to, you know, make a big scene. So he came. He didn't come at night because he was shy. He came at night because he was afraid. He was afraid. Because deep down inside of all of our hearts, no matter how good we think we are, there's a smidgen, okay, that's old school for a small part, a smidgen of us that doesn't really believe what we say we believe. And so this Pharisee was afraid. He didn't want to be seen with this radical named Jesus. He was afraid that Jesus might be who he said he is, which is God's son, the Messiah, the king, and the ruler of all. He was afraid that he might be wrong. Like, is it very um, good to get ahead in our culture to be wrong? Like, have you ever gone to your boss looking for a promotion and said, hey, here's the 12 things I did wrong this week. I need a promotion. That doesn't work, right? We have to get that resume looking good. We have to uh, be right almost in every situation. This guy was afraid that he might be wrong. And thirdly, he was afraid that he might have to give everything up. He was wealthy, he was well-educated, he was a Pharisee, he was a ruler, considered a ruler of the Jews. And so he was afraid and came to Jesus at night. And then he 
poses to Jesus a thought or a question. And this was it. Uh, in, in summary, I think this is what was going on in this Pharisee's th- uh, mind. This was the thought behind what he said to, to Christ. He said, you know what? Since I am small G God, this person can't be. So I'm going to compliment him and I'm going to call him a great rabbi or teacher. Like we respect Jesus almost all the way. But to say, Lord and Savior, take that last step where we have to bow down and submit to him. That's really hard. So let's just call him a great teacher. Let's give him a compliment. Oh, you're such a great rabbi teacher. And it's really interesting because I think the question or the thought that he poses to Jesus is revealing of his heart, of Nicodemus's heart. He feels superior. He feels elitist. He is arrogant. And most importantly, he is unsubmissive to the King of kings and Lord of lords. We have to submit to a ruler in our life. As I said before, to have our greatest joy, that ruler is Jesus. Because his reign is the kingdom of God. What he says his kingdom is, it is. What he says we need to obey in the kingdom, we need to obey. And so Nicodemus, I'll call him rabbi. I like the concept of Jesus. I like the moral behavior of Jesus. I like the teachings of Jesus. I love the love of Jesus. We all should love that. But I just can't go that last step and say he is king of kings. He's the Messiah. He's Lord. And he says to Jesus, I know uh, that you must be a rabbi or teacher because no one can do these signs unless God is with them. Now that kind of seems like Maybe Nicodemus is starting to get the picture that Jesus is God, but that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is, I know that you're not deity, but it seems to be that God is with you. Like he's working through you. And so I kind of want to be around that. Again, not going that last step of saying Lord and Savior, that Jesus is God. God must be with you, but I don't think you're God. You're just a great teacher. Now, this is the greatest dilemma, I believe, of the human heart. And this is the greatest dilemma for followers of Christ. And this is the greatest dilemma for those of us who call ourselves Christians, consider ourselves citizens of the kingdom, but we still struggle to be obedient to that which God has asked us to do. This is the dilemma. Is Jesus God Or is he just a good man, teacher, rabbi? Because if he's just a good teacher, this is the cool part. I can reject all the stuff that I don't like. I can go almost all the way in loving Jesus, serving Jesus, making Jesus the Lord and Savior, the King of my life. But if he's just a good teacher then I can reject all the stuff, the rule of the king, that I don't like because he's basically just like me. Let me, let me be a little bit more practical and a little bit more blunt. If you are struggling as a follower of Christ with sin in your heart, with a lack of obedience, 
with a lack of accepting things that seem mysterious to you or controversial to you. But Jesus said it clearly in scripture. If you're rejecting that, it's because deep down you believe Jesus is a rabbi, a good teacher, and not the Lord, King, Savior, Messiah, deity, son of God. That's why we struggle. That's why we do a series called Life in the Kingdom because we want to uh, get to a place where our trust is full in the rule of the king. Second teaching, verses three through five. Here's the thought, and this is a long one because I couldn't summarize well enough because I'm a little tired from yesterday's festivities. Okay. We think we want religion, but we really want and need the kingdom. Your heart really wants religion, but we really want what Jesus has created in us is a desire and a need for the kingdom. Jesus cuts to the chase. He cuts Nicodemus off in mid thought, which, you know, it's probably not a wise thing to do with Pharisees. And he says to Nicodemus, you think I'm a good teacher Because you have an idea of a kingdom that is formed solely by your behavior modification program. But guess what? The kingdom is all about being born again. And he says this. You cannot see the kingdom unless you are born again. See, keyword, S-E-E. This is what the word see means in this particular uh, uh, construct of the sentence. It means to pay attention to, understand, and experience. How many of us want to experience the kingdom of God? Man, I got seven hands up. I, I want to experience the kingdom of God. You can't see it. Unless you've been born again. And your response to me might be, well, what about all those people who I know don't claim Christ as Lord and Savior, who are not followers of Christ, and they're doing what they call kingdom work, or at least work that looks a certain way. It looks great to the outside. It's good stuff that they're doing. They're doing moral behavior modification. They're not doing kingdom work because unless you are born again, You cannot pay attention to, understand, or experience the kingdom of God. There is not a 12-step program. There is not, you know, a, a, a way for you to get your spreadsheet constructed such that you can see the kingdom unless you have been born again. The reality of the kingdom cannot be experienced unless you are born again. Lots of good works are meaningless outside of being born again. Good works can be our attempt to create a kingdom, but in reality, we are not seeing, understanding, paying attention to experience the kingdom of God. We're experiencing moral behavior modification, and it makes us all feel really good, but that is not the experience of the kingdom. This is an important distinction because Nicodemus did a lot of good works. And you look at those Pharisees, they had to obey like 600 different rules. And a lot of them were compassion-based, meaning serving the poor and taking care of, of their neighbor. Like, right, that's the ideal, even in our culture is, hey, just take care of your neighbor 
and you will see the kingdom of God. That is not the truth. You must be born again or you will not see the kingdom of God. You might have a flavor of it. You might get a taste of it, but you truly won't see what God is doing in his kingdom unless you have been born again. Nicodemus did good works, but he was blind to the kingdom. You have eyes that can see physically, but you can't see what's going on with God and his work on the planet and in the cosmos. So it's important to understand what is born again. This is going to freak you out. Okay, here we go. Born again literally means this. It is a from above, eternal, new creation. It is something that you can't do for yourself. It's from above, from God. It is eternal. If God does it, it sticks for eternity. And it is a new creation. Okay, it's going back again to the power is not within us to change our lives, to act moral enough that God loves us more, or to act moral enough that other people think we're pretty cool people. Born again is a gift from above for eternity that makes you a new creation. Let me put it this way. It is a miraculous regeneration of the heart. Something you cannot do. Something that only God can do. Something that you desperately need. And it is the only pathway to seeing, really seeing, the kingdom of God, which is your greatest joy. And then Jesus says this. Unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people who come from uh, Protestant um, uh, uh, denominations or, 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 or theologies say that this is the, the reason why they believe you must be baptized, literally baptized, to be saved. That is not what is, it is meant in this passage. When it says you need to be born of water, it's talking about an Old Testament concept brought into the New Testament that you must be cleansed from your sin. There was a lot of washing going on in the Old Testament, okay? A lot of washing hands. If you touch this, you're dirty, you got to wash or make a sacrifice. A lot of stuff going on. And it was symbolic of the miraculous cleansing of sin that is only available to people through the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, so what is Jesus saying? You need to be born of water. This is what it means. You need to be born again and to, to be born of water to see the kingdom. You need to be seen as perfectly righteous. Okay, this is a question for your lunch sandwich. How many in here, in and of themselves, are perfectly righteous? No hands? I was hoping you would raise your hand so someone could come up and finish the sermon and I could come and learn. Okay? You're right. In and of ourselves, we are not perfectly righteous. That is a bad thought because unless you're born of water, you cannot see the kingdom of God. So what is the, the Christian belief of our perfect righteousness? It's Jesus. No matter what your sin is, when Jesus 
borns you again, when he saves you, when he regenerates you, okay, you receive his perfect righteousness and he takes on your sin. Not just the past ones, not even the present ones, but the past, present, and future sins are laid on Christ and you receive in the sight of God his perfect righteousness. And that is a miracle, much like birth is a miracle. Okay, I haven't seen any of you create in the womb a human life. Okay? You might say, well, I do, you know, I work with test two babies all the time. You're still not creating life. You did not spin those molecules and create the fertilization of the egg to create a human baby. That is God's prerogative. It's a miracle. Okay? The same miracle as being born of water. And you are living in shame and guilt because you do not understand that as a follower of Christ, you have been born of water. You are cleansed. You are free from sin. You have Christ's righteousness forever. Okay? It's a miracle. Then he says, um, born of water and then born of the Spirit. A miraculous, eternal, new creation is regeneration to new life. Only the Spirit can do that. That is how you see the kingdom of God. It is not us getting together and creating some robust program where we can serve the needs of others. That's important. We should do those types of things. But to see the kingdom in its actuality, in its reality, with Jesus as king, is to be born again. A miracle that you cannot create for yourself, and you cannot behave yourself into it. Last teaching of this passage. Being born again isn't meant to be totally understood. It is meant to be accepted. Okay, this is going to be tough for a few of us. Acceptance of something that you don't understand is the definition of trust and belief. When you get to a point where you are requiring God to explain every little detail of your born-again experience, of his theological convictions and teachings in Scripture, and you need to understand them in full and perfect detail. By the way, keep pursuing that. But if you're expecting God to do that before you will trust him, before you will believe in him, you are going to have a long, miserable, carnal, unbelieving existence as a follower of Christ. You may be saved. You may even be born again. But this is the thing. If you're truly born again... Belief, trust in Jesus, is a fruit of said being born again. If Jesus has saved you, you're going to believe. You're going to trust. It's hard to explain the things that have happened in us. I was just having a conversation before service. It's hard to explain to others what God has done in our life. You know why? Because sometimes it's unexplainable. All we can say is, once I was blind, and now I see. 
I don't know all the theological implications. I can't even quote all the verses. I don't have the list, you know, of God's spreadsheet to me explaining all the details. Once I was blind, but now I see. It's important for Christians especially to understand this. Unbelief is not to be celebrated. It is a task for you to trust more. Obedience to all that God has commanded us, which is the definition of life in the kingdom, takes trust. It takes belief. Citizenship in the kingdom takes trust. It takes belief. And Jesus says, you can trust him without knowing every detail of his plan. He says it in this passage. The wind blows. Okay, You don't know where it comes from. Or where it goes, but you hear it sound. Do you question the reality of wind? Uh, if you do, go down and live in High Winds Ranch. That's why you call Highlands Ranch. A lot of wind down there. The wind blows. You don't know where it's coming from, where it's going. You hear it sound. Do you doubt the reality of wind? Behavior modification is a sign that you want to control everything. And when you want to control everything, it's a sign of not wanting to bow to the king. Which is where you'll find your greatest joy. This is the takeaway. The main thing standing between you and God is you. You must be born again, even if you don't understand it. And you must submit to the king to have your greatest joy. Let's pray. Father, many times as a follower of Christ for for many years, I take for granted what it means to be born again. I take for granted and question uh, what you have said your kingdom looks like. The reality of what it is. The new kingdom and the new creation that I am in Christ Jesus. So Father, for those of us who have known you, maybe for a long time, I pray that you would sink deep within our hearts uh, uh, an understanding of what it means to be born again. And maybe the rut that we're in, the lack of abundant life that we're experiencing, isn't due to you shunning us, not loving us enough. You've proved that you love us more than we can possibly fathom. Maybe it's due to us wanting to control even our Christianity. It's us wanting to know all the details. And it's really us not bowing to the king. And for those of us here who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that even right now, they would turn to you, that they would respond to what you've already done in their heart, that you've made them new. It's a new creation. It's a miracle. And they would respond in faith even today and maybe uh, come and take communion for the first time, taking the bread representing the body that was broken and the wine or the juice representing the blood that cleanses us from sin. That is a representation of us being born of water, cleansed forever. They would take it. They would receive it. They would walk with you. They would bow to you. 
they, they would start their life in the kingdom today. Thank you for the baptisms that we're about ready to celebrate. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.